Welcome to BSI, Variation Selection Inheritance, a podcast production of the National Science Foundation's Beacon Center for the Study of Evolution in Action. I'm Randall Hayes. Last week, I spoke with Scientific American blogger and urban ecologist Danielle Lee about getting people to realize that a city is in fact a part of nature and not separate from it. There's a lot going on. You don't have to go off to some exotic place to observe basic scientific principles such as food web interactions or predator-prey interactions or, you know, how chemistry affects life. She grew up in her city where the wildest thing she ever encountered was probably a feral pigeon. Although our cities are getting wilder. Remember the Greensboro bear from episode 10 last May? Personally, I grew up on a farm where nature was in my face every day. Literally, I spent a good bit of time wiping various bits of nature off my face, or spitting them out of my mouth, or digging them out of my skin. Damn chiggers. I'm not sure which background required more imagination, filling an empty void as she had to do, or seeing past the idea that nature is something to be tamed and beaten back, which I had to do. Not that I'm trying to one-up her. It's not a contest. There's plenty of work to do, awakening the imaginations of billions of people to the possibilities of living in a living world, by which I mean a world that is alive. One way to do that, to strengthen the imagination in general, is to practice imagining things that aren't real, but could be. I spent last weekend at the SETI Institute in California which uses radio telescopes to search for evidence of alien civilizations, assuming that they broadcast as much radio traffic into space as we do. Science Channel had a special on SETI last week. I'll link to that on the website. SETI has also recently taken up wet lab astrobiology work, trying to see what sort of life might be possible on planets with conditions different than ours on Earth. Colder, drier, more radiation, whatever. What I was doing at SETI is the contact conference, which for over a quarter century now has been gathering to imagine alien civilizations to give us practice in thinking about how to deal with them when we find them. It's also kind of fun. It's a pretty eclectic crowd. I recorded several neat interviews with some of those people while I was there which will be trickling out over the next several weeks in and around our other stuff. Right now, on the website, is the beginning of a blog thread about the alien culture we created this year. But this week, we're back with Danielle Lee, describing an opposite way to broaden people's perspectives. Let me borrow an analogy from chemistry. Dr. Lee takes a catalytic approach, lowering the activation energy of the imagination by using science to examine everyday things that people already know and care about. Things like fashion and music and getting laid. She spent several weeks on her blog popping a media bubble about chemical hair relaxers. For those of you who've never had a perm or dated someone who has had a perm, These products break some 
but not all of the chemical bonds in a hair so that straight hair can be made curly or curly hair can be made straight. Then you rinse away the relaxer and add another solution that reforms those chemical bonds to hold the hair in its new shape. The fact that anyone would voluntarily do this says a lot about the power of sexual selection. These chemical relaxers may or may not actually damage your DNA, but they sure smell nasty enough to cause cancer. Anyhow. The first thing I wanted to ask you about, just because I thought it was some cool detective work, was this hair relaxer story. Yeah. So, I mean, it came across my Twitter feed from The Root, which is, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, it's uh, considered an African-American news webzine. And they, they publish a lot of stories, the idea that are of interest to African-Americans. So it's a lot of politics, a lot of, you know, what's going on in the world. And so things that African-American readers care about. And then when I saw this thing on chemical relaxers and fibroids, I mean, I saw it, and I was like, it just didn't jab with me from the first moment. I, it just didn't make sense. And so, of course, I was curious, and I read, uh, I read you know, that link, and it took me to another link. And then, of course, it listed the papers, and then I looked up the papers, and I was like, you know what, I'm a scientist. I'm going to just read these papers myself. And so you I actually think, did some fact-checking. I actually did, yeah. I guess that's because I'm not a trained journalist. I don't realize that's, that's what I was doing. I was fact-checking. I didn't realize I was doing that because I'm definitely a scientist who blogs. So I got into writing about science mainly because I like sharing science with non-expert audiences. And um, the other good thing is I don't think the average public would have had access to these papers because you and I both know that if, if your institution doesn't, you know, have it, they'll ask you to pay these huge fees to get access to the papers. So I use interlibrary loan, and I must say this is the best library system I've ever experienced of the universities I've been at. Uh, they normally tell you two to three days to get an interlibrary loan document. I always get it within four hours. It's insane. I love Four it. hours? Yes, they are awesome. <laughs> I, found I guess that oil money's that I, going to something. It is. You know what? It is definitely oil money in these parts. I mean, I, I found the paper from the 30s, and they found it in a couple hours and had it in my inbox that fast. They are amazing. That is so sweet. I know. I was like, you know what? I'm going to hush up about Oklahoma. I don't know. I may have tripped them up just now. I just sent in a request for a journal um, from, a, from a paper from 1980, which is not that far, but if you think about stuff that's been uploaded online, that might be a long way ago. But it's a journal in Africa. We'll see how long this takes. I expect this one to take a couple of days to track this one down, but they are pretty good. I give it to them. So thankfully, my university has really great library resources. I was able to get the papers that, you know, didn't have free access to them. And I, I read them. I thoroughly read them because I really just wanted to understand what I call the, the story. How did they come up with this hypothesis? What, what was the hypothesis? It sounds like there was a correlation between uh, use of chemical hair relaxers and fibroids on the uterus. Right. Can you explain what a fibroid is? So a fibroid is a non-cancerous tumor. So it's not cancer, but it, it's only, it only affects women because it is a special tumor 
that grows out of uterine muscles. And the problem is we really don't understand fibroids all the way, but we know that they happen. They affect women of reproductive age. And they're painful, right? They can be. They can be because they grow so large. And so they can they symptoms tend to be women have very, very heavy periods or nonstop periods, very painful PMS system, symptoms like cramps, uh, and just general discomfort. It's, it just women are just always uncomfortable for the most part. We know that it happens women in their beginning in their 20s and 30s by menopause. Uh, those symptoms go away because the fibroids shrink. And so it only really, you know, interferes with young women in their 20s and 30s because you're still too far off from menopause for it to just work itself out. Uh, the reason why it really started coming up on, as far as people who care about social justice, is because black women were having a disproportionate number of hysterectomies. And there were people concerned that perhaps doctors were disproportionately and deliberately, you know, giving black women hysterectomies as opposed to white women. And so that's kind of where it started. I don't talk about that in the blog. Hold on a second there. It's like that they were doing it out of carelessness or that they were deliberately attempting to sterilize people? Well, I, you know, it depends on who you ask. So part of what I don't talk about in the blog, but I, I do recognize so this is one of the things. So when you read some science stories, particularly in the black media, it's important to recognize that it comes with all those histories and those distrust. And so typically among black readers or the black community, when they see stuff like this, the idea is that it was done out of it was done deliberately to sterilize black women. Now that's the dialogue you may not hear people say out loud, but that's what a lot of people are thinking. Do you see that the the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks? I mean, I'm glad you mentioned it because all those things mentioned in that book, that is part of the collective cultural history of most black people, whether college or not. Right. And it's not always it's not always paranoia even these days because there was a sterilization program in North Carolina until like 1974. Exactly. So when people hear these things, they have they probably know within two to three degrees of, you know, relationships, someone who was affected by it. And so. Though I didn't talk about that, and though none of the sites talked about that, that's kind of the that's kind of the emotional history that a lot of these stories kind of pick at. And so that's so when you had researchers wondering why black women were getting fibroids more often, it started with this idea of why were black women getting hysterectomies more, hyster, more hysterectomies. And then it came about that oh, okay, they, there's something legitimately different about them. So there is a legitimate difference. Um, the hysterectomy part is that really is one of the treatments for it, particularly if you're a woman who's done having children. You know, you get a hysterectomy. That's still one of the treatments, but with more and more women delaying childbirth, because, you know, unlike two or three generations ago, our moms were done having babies by the time they were in their 30s or wanted to be done. Uh, but you have more and more women delaying childbirth, so they're not, they're not prepared for hysterectomies because they still want families, but they want to get, get rid of the discomfort. So there are now these newer ways to treat them, not as effective, because I know women personally who had them ablated or they had the surgery, and within two or three years they're back. Yeah, yeah, that's a problem with any of those tumor kinds of things is there's always the chance that whatever caused them in the first place will just cause more. 
it'll just cause more. And so a lot of women are hoping that they'll, you know, either have babies. Now, I don't know the research on this part, and I don't talk about it because I don't know the research, but from what I know anecdotally, it seems you, you hear women who haven't had children, they seem to be more common. You know what I mean? And it's a different hormonal mix, and I wouldn't be surprised because what we know, at least in animals, that um, animals that cycle but never get pregnant are more prone to tumors, cancerous tumors, then that's one of the reasons why they go ahead and recommend you go ahead and spay your dogs and cats. There's no sense cycling them if they're not going to have babies. I never heard that. So, yeah, I learned that. I learned So my degree, my bachelor's degree is actually in agriculture. So uh, let me let let's hop back to the the hair relaxers thing. Okay. For a little bit, we sort of we sort of interrupted that story, and I okay, wanted so to go back and and ask you about uh, the echo chamber kind of effect. I've seen okay. that, believe it or not, I've seen that before. Um, there was a point where uh, this was also in the black press when I was teaching my own evolution class. And we did some stuff about mating behaviors and, and the evolution of gayness, and, which, is, which is a Baba Brinkman song, and some things okay. like that. And there was – what I found was a little similar to what you described, that there were different places online were basically just reposting the same flawed argument that said black women are becoming so much pickier – because right. there are no good black men, because they're gay, because they're in prison, because they're – and it went down this sort of list of things. Wherever you went online, you saw the same set of things posted, which I, right. I was really struck by at the time, and I thought it was weird. But now I, I read the story you posted, and – and I'm wondering if this is if this is a, a general feature of online news. Um, it just might be. Sadly, I think it is. Um, and then, and the one thing about the internet or the 24-hour news cycle, you can pretty much just find whatever you agree with. You know, you don't actually have to learn anything anymore. You can ignore all the other stuff and find all this evidence that affirms whatever you're thinking, which is why media literacy, in addition to scientific literacy, is so important for the general public, so that you can be discerning and know when someone's just copying and pasting or when they're not making a good sound argument. You know, it's just being circular. To say there's no good black men just because there's no men, or not, no, you know, it's just circular. It's like, come on, people, let's think. So you and so when you saw when you started seeing that different people were posting the same you called it a mashup of two or three different papers that didn't say the same thing. Right. I mean it, it just struck me as just poor journalism, first of all. And I think and it needed to be called out. It needed to be called out because one, it was inaccurate. It was Poor information sharing, particularly when those stories were being spread like wildfire. People were commenting on them, and they weren't going any farther than that. And that's why it matters to get it right the first time, because 
most people aren't going to go through that much trouble to find at least a second source, not even the right source, just a second source, especially when, in this case, the, end of the organization whose story was spread the most was blackdoctors.org. Well, why wouldn't people trust blackdoctors.org? And that was the story that, that went farther than any, any of them. And that's the one that BET and The Root depended on because it said black doctors. And so I think it was important for, you know, the public to know that this wasn't, they didn't do any research. They didn't read the story themselves. They didn't add any commentary that you would expect a health professional to add. They didn't. And so have and you gotten have any pushback from that? Um. Actually, no. Um, BlackDoctors.org responded on Twitter saying we're we're researching it now. That's the only thing they said. Uh, the root and BET no response. I did get a call, which was my follow-up piece from the woman who wrote the very original piece, which is where all this started. Because I was I thought it all sounded strange, and so I got a call from a representative of the Environmental Justice Health Alliance. Uh, that focuses on, similar to me, they care about getting more quality science news related to environmental justice out. I'm not necessarily dedicated to environmental justice. I just care about quality science news making it out. And it matters because, you know, EJ is important or healthcare is important. But I, I'm hoping to push more science news. And if it has to be health-related to start, I think that's a really good way to start things, but it has to be quality science news. And right now, it's just, I don't think there's a system-wide dedication to quality science news in the press in general, but the black press in particular. Well, the thing that I've been hearing is that science journalists have been getting laid off. They have. They really have. So that the, the people who are doing the people who are doing science coverage now are not even the trained science journalists. It's it's people who it's whoever's left in the newsroom. Right, that is happening absolutely, no doubt. But I feel, and if that's all they're left with, and if they keep producing stuff like this, they need to rethink their their model because that's not working. Dr. Lee's training in the biological sciences made her immediately suspicious of the pop culture rewrite of the original papers. So she went and looked them up and saw what they actually said. The intuition that something didn't sound right came very naturally out of her expertise in biology. Now I mentioned on the blog last week that she had popped the hair relaxer media bubble, but possibly contributed to another media bubble around the Tavon Martin shooting in Florida by passing along blog posts that also overly simplified the original psychology research about when people shoot. I went and looked at one of those papers and what it actually said was that people shoot when they're afraid regardless of whether they're racists or not. Racists are just more likely to be afraid and more likely to shoot when the victim is part of that other group. When there are other danger cues in the environment, the race difference goes away because everyone shoots more often and they shoot white people just as often as they shoot black people. So yes, there's a targeting, 
but it appears to be an unconscious, intuitive targeting, which makes it more difficult to blame people for it than if the targeting was deliberate and thought out. At least that's the way our legal system has considered it in the past, that the intention is as important as the act itself. That's the difference between murder one and manslaughter. You might find it ironic that Dr. Lee could be both cleaning up and muddying the waters of the media and be tempted to criticize her about that, but don't. Do not. She caught a mistake inside her trained expertise and missed one outside her trained expertise, especially since it would have conflicted with her own very real personal experiences of being profiled by police, which she describes in detail on her blog. I caught the psychology mistake because I'm a neuroscientist. I have a little more training in psychology. That's how specialization works. You get a deep knowledge of one area and shallow knowledge outside that area. It's, it's just not possible to be equally good at everything. For the rest of this week's show, we're going to shift gears to happier subjects and talk about our various efforts to pull students into evolutionary biology using pop music. For my students, pop usually means hip-hop. Now I could talk comics or science fiction or one-hit wonders from the 1980s billboard charts all damn day and into the evening, but I honestly don't know much about modern hip-hop. So my efforts in that direction are still kind of half-assed and lame as you'll hear about my attempts to use Baba Brinkman's work in my classes. But just listen to how someone with a deep cultural knowledge, like Danielle Lee, can make these connections between science and the arts sound so easy. Do you know Baba Brinkman? I know him on Twitter, so we're acquainted, but I don't know him very well personally. But have you have you ever tried to use any of his stuff? I actually have. I got a chance to teach a class last semester, and I used some of his stuff. How did students react to that? I, first, they were pleasantly surprised, but they enjoyed it. They they would have to look at the lyrics as he, if they heard them at the same time, but they responded very well, tried to understand what it means. So what I did for my particular classes, it was for advanced undergraduates, was they had to read scientific, they had to read evolutionary biology papers. And they had to find papers, had to read papers, and then find songs that match those papers. Oh, I like that. And so, you know, so we were reading book chapters, and so his stuff went really, really well with the book chapters because he was explaining, you know, some concepts and, and a lot of detail. And so, and they had to do that. And then, then they also, you know, in doing it, they had to dissect the paper to explain what it meant. They had to go find songs, even if it was just a few lines of a few songs, you know, to explain this line here relates to that. And so his stuff was perfect. I, I would use his stuff as, to begin a lot of lectures 
because he would explain it, and then we'll go into more detail. But, yeah, they responded very well to it. I think they were just surprised. I think they took the class just because it was it was just, I think they just couldn't believe it was a class on hip-hop and evolution. <laughs> a lot of my students, they sort of, you know, they sort of rolled their eyes at at Baba's stuff. It, it His stuff is kind of technical, and they were. It is more technical. It is. So I didn't use just Baba Brinkman. I definitely mixed it up. I mean, I used popular songs to explain a lot. So maybe that's maybe that's a step that I should have thought about was, uh, you know, pick a song you already like and find the evolutionary biology embedded in it. Right. So uh, so I taught my class was on sexual selection, so it just makes it a lot easier since sadly so many rap songs are about sex and dating. Um, so example was explaining extra pair copulation. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? Are you familiar with that? Sure. It's called adultery. So, <laughs> yeah. So extra pair copulation, I explained with Naughty by Nature's OPP. And so just starting was, with something I, that they already knew. Well, or at least had a nice beat. And I, sometimes I deliberately just use the beat. I just start playing music in class and. So not that long ago, one of the uh, professors here asked me to sub his class in evolutionary biology, and I gave a lecture on distinguishing inheritance from inheritance, you know, heritability from inherited traits, because they're so Mm -hmm. similar and often confused. And so I gave a lecture on it. And then at the end of class, I gave a quiz, and the quiz uh, I played a song by Juvenile. She get it from her mama. She said, Mama got ass. Because mm-hmm. in the song, he goes through, describes a woman, several attributes of this woman, and at the in the refrain is she gets it from her mama. But I put the song at the end of every line, and they had to explain how did she get it from her mama. Was it because it was heritable, or was it because she inherited it genetically? Right. So, you know, nature versus nurture. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. So sweet. Those are those are good ideas. I'm going to steal those ideas. Yeah, I got, I have both of those ideas online. So I, even though it's not written in lesson plan format, but I got it already written up. If you wanted to go on my website and, and snatch it, <laughs> I'll have to take a look. For so that. yeah, but I have that, and I think I've because I've, I've done some buses papers too. I mean, actually, his his papers became the unofficial textbook for my class. So I've taken some of his papers just on my own, and I've you know remixed them as I call it. That's what I call it when I when I find a paper and a song comes to mind, I'll remix it. So so give me an example of a remixed paper. Um, I was I was at a conference and I was listening to a researcher talk about nuptial gifts, and they were following the isotopes to see if the female was actually using the nuptial gifts for the eggs, which is what had always been hypothesized, that, you know, when males present females with nuptial gifts, it helps them mate because they eat longer, blah, 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 blah. And so they followed the isotopes. And what they found is that the females was not putting it into reproduction. She was put, she was metabolizing it for her own health. And as I was listening to the researcher present, a song came to head. And that's actually how this happens for me. It's, I, I don't know. I got some weird thing. It's like, I can hear talks or read papers in a soundtrack of play. And the song that came to mind was Kanye West's Gold Digger. 
<laughs> Another paper was uh, was a couple of lines of research done by May Diana Andrade out of Canada. She studies terminal investment theory in spiders, like black widows, where the male after the males would deliberately like present themselves for the females to kill and eat after mating because it improves their reproductive success. And I was listening, I was reading her papers, and the song Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe came to mind. Even though spiders aren't poisonous, they're venomous, but you know. That one goes far enough back that I actually know it. You're like, I know that one. So, yeah, so, so like poison to explain terminal investment theory. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, so I kind of do that. And so what I do is is I hear stuff, I'll write it down, I'll try to write a post about it so I don't forget. But then I end up using these in lectures at some point. I've been on this social change kick lately, which might seem like a detour, but my interests grew partly out of this challenge that we were just talking about. How do you teach evolution to people who are prejudiced against the concept by their cultural traditions? Next week I'll be talking to someone who's been studying the methods of social change for a long time and who has some surprising results. I'll give you a clue. VSI is produced by me, with editing help from at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University with funding from the National Science Foundation. I haven't mentioned this recently, but our musical tag is by my old buddy Tom Drury of the Kentucky Bach Choir, which has not one, but two concerts coming up next weekend in Lexington. If you're in town, you ought to go see them. You can check them out at lexbach.org. Fern Cat Meow is now following us on Twitter. I don't know why, but I'll take it. It has a lot more followers than I do, so it must be doing something right. You should be following us, too, at VSI Beacon on Twitter. It's more fun than having thumbs. Until next week, thanks for listening.